This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm your host Matt Addison with Joe Rimmer and Theo Squires alongside me for a look back at the disappointing defeat to West Ham United on Sunday and a look at the reports linking Steven Gerrard with a move to Aston Villa after Dean Smith was relieved of his duties over the weekend. Theo, I'll come to you first. You were down at the London Stadium on Sunday. It wasn't a pretty sight in the most part. We will, of course, dissect that in detail very shortly. But I suppose the first thing to say, it was a huge opportunity missed, given what had happened on Saturday with Chelsea. Is that kind of the overriding emotion, do you think, coming out of this game? Yeah, it is very much so. You think two weeks ago, it felt like Liverpool were unstoppable. They thrashed Manchester United at Old Trafford. They sent out this big message to the rest of the Premier League that they are these big title contenders that if you want to win the league, you have to finish above them. And now West Ham have just overtaken them by beating them in their own turf. If Arsenal turn them over in the first game after the international break, they'll leapfrog them as well. You think, well, there is still work to do in this Liverpool team. Um, They never really got going against West Ham. It was one where as soon as the early goal went in, you felt, "Uh uh-oh, what's what's happening here? I I know Jürgen Klopp came out and said in his post-match press conference he felt Liverpool were in control of the game. They never look like really clawing it back. It's something that's been lacking in the last year, 18 months. Like when they won the title, it doesn't matter what the score was, what the minute was, you always back them to get a late goal. You'd always back them to turn games around. And that hasn't been here this season. Like even when they're not playing well in the past, you've said they'll get a late winner against Brighton, they'll get a late equaliser against West Ham, they'll find a way. That's been this in this season. It was been it's been coming, let's be honest, in these games where they've been clumsy mistakes defensively um, when they've been just pushing too far forward and they've been conceding daft goals and it can't be too negative because they were what 25 games unbeaten it was a sensational run Uh, it was a matter of time before the mistakes would come back and bite them and it's just unfortunate that it's happened at a weekend where it's against a West Ham who you wouldn't have expected to be in a top four contention and now you're thinking oh maybe they could be not like Premier League champions or anything like Leicester a few years ago, they could be challenging for a good European spot. They could be challenging for the top four if they don't have a blip or get distracted by Europe. And that's well, Liverpool got this gap to pick up, make up against Man City, make up against Chelsea. Um, I think you went into the last two international breaks having drawn with both those teams and that felt like a missed opportunity because you would have had the opportunity to wrestle back control of the league, make top spot, build a gap. This one's even worse. This is even more deflating because they're going to have to put this winning run together. And it's one thing in recent years when you know you have to finish above City to have a chance of winning the title. When it's Chelsea as well, they've made things difficult for them. And yeah, (laughs) hopefully it's just getting all the mistakes out of the way in one game and then they can go back to another 25 game winning run after this. But it it was not a pretty pretty sight at the London Stadium at all. No, it certainly wasn't a good performance, Joe. And we did sort of know that Liverpool would have to play well to beat West Ham. But I suppose, you know, there's plenty of of different elements to this. I suppose that, as Theo said, that the first goal probably didn't help. We should probably talk about a couple of the refereeing decisions to get those out of the way before we talk about a few other bits as well. I mean, there was obviously the potential red card for Aaron Cresswell. Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool weren't particularly happy with the, the first goal as well. But you know, regardless of those two things, Liverpool just didn't play well enough, did they? Well, that's it. I think that there's two ways. You know, there's two things that, that I've come out of this game thinking, and one that I think two ridiculous refereeing decisions, which really leave a, 
a, a bitter taste. Um, and, and I'm quite frustrated about them. But at the same time, I think you don't want to give Liverpool an excuse for what was a really poor performance um, right throughout the pitch. Um, conceded some really sloppy goals and, and let West Ham do to them what we sort of knew West Ham were going to set out to do to them. Um, so, you know, on one hand, there's a bit of anger about those decisions, but on the other hand, I think Liverpool need to to face the facts that, that they weren't good enough. I mean, to go to the two decisions, look, I mean, first of all, the easy one, Aaron Cresswell, it's a, it's a red card all day long, and I cannot believe for the life of me that he didn't get sent off, that a free kick wasn't even awarded for it. I mean, I, I, I was just watching... Felt like 10, 15 minutes before that, uh, Mason Holgate gets sent off for what looked to me almost the exact same tackle. If anything, a better tackle in terms of he won the ball um, for Everton. Um, he gets sent to show a straight red card. Aaron Cresswell, um, you know, totally out of control. It, it, and it doesn't matter if he made contact or not. It doesn't matter if he meant it. They're not the rules. The rules are that he, he was out of control and was endangering an opponent and he, and he did that to Jordan Henderson and um, you know look he, he, I'm sure he didn't mean it um, but if he'd have made bad contact with Henderson he, he could have caused a really serious injury and I know that you know there's people saying well he, he tripped over the top of the ball or whatever but if you put tackle in with such force then you can lose control and, and he did lose control and I thought I think Klopp's right, and I think there is this problem with referees now where they go, well, I've got VAR, so you know, if I'm not sure about something, I've got... And I, I think it's almost an unconscious thing that, that it's, it's unfair almost to criticise them for because it, you, you understand why they have it, but they, they have that split-second thought of, like, well, VAR will pick up on it and they'll tell me if this is wrong. Um, you know, then the VAR official probably doesn't always want to overrule the, the referee on the pitch, so you, nobody really makes a decision... And I thought that was awful. I thought for for them to to let that slide the way that they did, without even showing any sort of colour card, was just pathetic, really. And then the the, the goal, you know, I, I know a lot of people will say, you know, Allison should be stronger, and that might be so. But how often now do we see free kicks given for any contact for any, you know, impeding of goalkeepers? We see it all the time. I've lost count of the amount of free kicks that you see where there's a little bit of jostling in the box, and the second it gets taken, the referee blows up. He gives a free kick. So if you watch that back, I don't understand how you can have Antonio standing at the back of the goalkeeper giving him a little shove, which he does. He gives him a little shove in the small of his back. And then a, a big centre-half like a bonner jump up, hands in the air, backing into a goalkeeper. He's got no chance, has he? He's, there's no way. I don't care how strong you want Alisson to be. How does he catch or make contact with the ball? It's it, it's really difficult for him. And all right, you, you know, you either say that sort of thing doesn't matter and you you know your goalkeepers need to be stronger in which case we see far fewer free kicks given but the the, the the fact is we don't we see those free kicks given all the time and again it just felt like a referee who didn't want to make a strong decision and and rule that out and have the crowd on his back so especially so early in the game so I, I thought that was again a poor decision but after that Liverpool's so so poor and as Theo's just said it, it feels like for Liverpool, every time they drop points this season, it's come at the worst time. You know, they've dropped points and allowed people to get ahead of them, or you know, dropped points and lost a bit of ground. And this was a chance to make up a bit of ground, and they've dropped points again just before the international break. And um, you know, you don't want to get too downhearted. They have been on a great unbeaten run, but there just has been the feeling that there's something missing in recent weeks, and I think they're paying for it a bit now. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think that there's something missing. You alluded to it a little bit earlier on. Theo was kind of defensively, Liverpool are just not quite at it at the moment. It's two or more goals conceded now on six separate occasions so far this season. They only did that nine times in the entirety of last season when they didn't really have proper centre-backs for the entire season. So, I mean, that's that's got to be a big worry, hasn't it, for Liverpool? But it doesn't feel like they're doing anything different. What do you think has, has changed? What's caused them to be so, so open and, and so vulnerable at the back? Um, well, it's just not been as easy for them, has it? Like We're used to seeing Virgil van Dijk at his best, not a hair out of place, barely breaking into a sweat. But when he's got his hair out of place, you know he's been given a hard afternoon's work. Um, and that was the case with Miguel Antonio. Like Van Dijk was beaten for the award of the first corner. Antonio got past him and while he recovered to concede the corner, that's where the first goals come from. And Joel Matip, he was obviously struggled against him at times as well. Uh, Andy Robertson's in a very poor run of form at the moment, the worst of his Liverpool career. And while I'm sure we've all got faith that he'll turn it around, he's been such a good servant. You've got Kostas Simikas breathing down his neck, not getting the opportunity. It's come at the wrong time. And it was a strange one watching Trent Alexander-Arnold yesterday because it seemed as soon as Liverpool fell behind, he felt a bit more urgent to get on the goals and get forward. And he was basically just staying in the field. He wasn't tracking back. And you think, well, when you think Liverpool-West Ham at the London Stadium, you think great counter-attacking goals. You think West Ham corners, Liverpool heading it clear, Mane Salah bursting up the other end and scoring. And whenever West Ham had a corner yesterday, it felt like they were going to score and Liverpool weren't getting those breaks. And then West Ham were just doing them on the counter time and time again. They were wasting it time and time again. And eventually they get the second goal and one of those opportunities that they just undid Liverpool with ways that Liverpool undid them, undone them in the past. Um do we say it's because of the injuries? Van Dijk, Matip coming back from such lengthy layoffs, it takes time to get that consistency, get that rhythm. Um, Andy Robertson, he's obviously had the um, Euro, uh, European Championships in the summer where he wouldn't have necessarily had that in the past. And you think, well, Liverpool, when they've been on this unbeaten run, Alisson has been one of their very best players this season, making time and time again these great saves, one-on-one, bailing them out. And there's perhaps not been the attention as such because they're going out and scoring teams even when they've conceded one or two along the way. And the one time he has an off day that he's at fault for one, two, maybe even three goals, it's cost them and they've lost. Just hoping that the goalkeeper doesn't have that off day too often. And in the past, he hasn't. But then needs to find that some rhythm in the back four. And you think, well, maybe you take one of them out of the firing line. You give a different one of them a go. You go for in one of the other centre-backs. Well, they did about Canate against Brighton and it, it didn't work. Like, granted, he played well against Manchester United. I don't think anyone's got real any confidence in putting uh, Nico Williams at right back on a consistent basis to give Trent a rest. James Milner has been there, and while he did really well for a few games, he was torn apart against Manchester City. It's like, well, Simicast is the only defender. You're saying, yeah, he's playing better than you'd expect. All the others, it's just on par. Virgil van Dijk used to be him being the, the best defender in the world. Um, I wouldn't say we're seeing him as a, a nine out of ten on a weekly basis. It's a six, seven. He's nothing exceptional. Like, remember a couple of years ago, was it against Tottenham, when he had two players against him and he was the only man back and he somehow managed to stop them even hitting the target without winning the ball. You don't have that faith in him doing that at the moment. And it's not a slant against him. It's just Liverpool have lost that bit of invincibility in defence, that moment where you think, doesn't matter what the score is, what the minute is, they're going to get a result from this game. They're going to get a win. They're going to get a goal. That's what's lacking. And while you can have a great keeper and you can bail them out and they can have Mohamed Salah scoring for fun at the other end, getting in the wins when the keeper has an off day or Salah's marked out of game and isn't getting the goals, they will lose. And that is what happened yesterday. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
Yeah, tomorrow's Liverpool.com podcast to look in depth at, at the squad and, and the left back situation specifically. So I don't want to go too much into that now, Joe, but there has been a fair bit of chat around sort of Andy Robertson, whether Costa Simicas possibly could have, have come in for that one in hindsight. But to me, it's it's a wider problem than that. I know we, we touched a little bit on this on Friday. It's it's not quite as simple as just if Simicas had played Liverpool defensively would have been better. It's a much wider issue than that, isn't it? Yeah, and I, and I actually think Simicas and Robertson is the is the opposite. That's the area that you, we should be pleased with because you've got a, a strong alternative. And you know, Robertson didn't have the best of games, but if that poor form should continue, then then Simicas will, will will play more games. To me, the the issues are in other areas of the pitch. You know, I I still think I've said a lot of times. I think Liverpool left themselves far too short in midfield. Um, it still massively frustrates me that, that that's where they're at midfield. And I, and I think a lot of the, the defensive issues that, that they're having comes from the midfield and comes from them playing a midfield that's slightly, slightly off balance. Um, you know, and then and then up front, I know he came on and scored yesterday, so it's, this might sound slightly harsh, but I still think they lack real quality backup um, aside from, from, from Jota. So, you know, I... I th- I don't think Simicas and Robertson's the issue. You know, you look at midfield, and and I think that's an area where Liverpool get a lot of praise for the way they've bought players um, in terms of you know they're they're patient. They were patient with Van Dijk. They were patient with Allison, um, and you know they they sort of waited it out when there was a lot of calls for them to go out and buy a centre half or a goalkeeper, and they got the right ones. But I think we've we've gone well. It's basically since Liverpool won the Champions League, they've been very prudent in what they've. They've signed. They didn't really sign any senior players after winning the Champions League. Then they waited and signed Jota and, and Thiago. Um, they let Wijnaldum go this summer and sign one player. And I just think that they just—they just missed a trick. I just think that the, these are these are wasted opportunities. And you look at the midfield now, and I think I've said it before on club on, on podcasts. Klopp had a bit of a rant at a certain journalist in the summer for suggesting that they should replace Wijnaldum, and said to me. What are we missing in midfield? And he listed all these players, Oxlade Chamberlain, Naby Keita, um, Harvey Elliott, Curtis Jones, all these other players. And he said, what, what type of midfielder are you missing? And they're missing someone reliable. Whatever you think about Oxlade Chamberlain, you know, I, I think he's a good player who's who's done well for Liverpool. But he's now been there five or six years. Maybe, maybe that's a bit long, four or five years. And he's not forced his way into the team in any, you know, prolonged manner. I don't think Man City hold on to those types of players. I don't think Chelsea do. I think eventually you sort of have to have a bit of a refresh like they did with, with um, Shaqiri and you have to move these players on. And to me, in midfield, you know, they, they basically let a guy go in Wijnaldum that was really, really reliable, that gave them a solid platform. And now, you know, they've tried an 18-year-old in Harvey Elliott, um, very unlucky with the injury he's gone down with. But they've got Cater who gets injured, you know, more often than not. And that, I'm not digging Cater out, but... It's it's true. It's the facts. He gets injured a lot. He's injury prone. You know they they have a player in Oxide Chamberlain who hasn't played a lot of football in recent years, and they're stuck relying on them. And I just think that it, it was a bad decision to let Wijnaldum go and not replace him. And they might have longer term plans and try and replace him next summer. But could they end up counting the cost and not winning a title? Which I think, if anyone puts it together a really good run of form, um, they could win this title. Because I, you know, slightly disagree with Theo in the sense that. I think they're lucky that there isn't a Man City type team that's that looks like they're going to run away with it, because um, 
you know, everyone's sort of taking points off each other. So I was still convinced that if you win five to ten games, you put yourself in pole position. But I think Liverpool could end up regretting it because I just don't think they've got the options in midfield and I think that's exposed them. Yeah, talking of the, the midfield, Theo, I mean, Oxlade-Chamberlain didn't quite happen for him against West Ham. Thiago then came on and looked a little bit rusty. But again, it, it just goes back to the lack of options, doesn't it? The fact that Thiago had to, to come on for the last 20 minutes and, and didn't look quite ready. Well, it was basically because Jurgen Klopp didn't have anybody else to turn to. Yeah, like midfield injuries has been a recurring theme so far this season. And it's one where when you say the players they've got, they do have the bodies there. And if you're having Oxlade-Chamberlain fit on form, Cater fit on form, Milner, Thiago, there isn't an issue with midfield. Like You can say they don't have that reliability of a genuine Wijnaldum and his type of player anymore. But I think part of that was deliberate because if you look at how Liverpool had set up in the field at the start of the season, and they've given hints of it in um, interviews. I think Trent Alexander-Arnold did one uh, a few weeks ago when he's talking how they're trying to refresh the, the right-hand side. So you have the midfielder, more forward, more inverted, and then Trent gets forward more and they link up with Salah. And we saw it work brilliantly um, when Harvey Elliott was fit for those three, four games. It worked really well in pre-season as well. But I think that was the next adaptation of this Liverpool side. That was their next way forward to bring in this playmaker and they can still get the best out of the fullbacks. And then Elliott got injured and you think, well, there's only really one player in the Liverpool squad who can do it like him and that's Naby Keita took a little bit of time for him to get used to that role, but he did it well. We saw it work so well at Old Trafford. As Joe said, he always gets injured. When he gets injured against Brighton, Oxlade-Chamberlain goes on the right. He doesn't look as comfortable on the right. He looks better on the left. Thiago's always looked better on the left. Jordan Henderson has been great on the right-hand side for so long when he's in this more withdrawn role, offering that protection to Trent. Now he's more offensive. He doesn't do it the same way. It's ironic that maybe Genie and Alden have actually been quite good for it because we've seen how good he is offensively for the Netherlands over the years. And that was a player we never saw at Liverpool. But you've got these midfielders and they have got talent now. We know what James Milner can do. We can know what Oxley chamberlain can do. You just need them to get a run of games and show it. And they're not going to get a run of games because one of them will get injured or then they'll be back from injury and go, oh, we don't need to turn to Oxlade-Chamberlain anymore because we've got Curtis Jones back or we've got Thiago back. It's just about finding that rhythm. And then because they've only got two or three players left standing, you end up knackering Jordan Henderson out. And he's not really been consistent, has he? Like he has one good game as a number six and then he has a poor game as a number six. Then he goes to the right-hand side. He's great for one game. He's poor for another. They're all lacking that bit of consistency. And me and Doyle have been speaking with fans on Twitter today and they're saying, like, you shouldn't be relying on Harvey Elliott. Like, you shouldn't be turning to an 18-year-old to be this midfield linchpin. That is the next role for Liverpool. They created this role for him. Like, none of us ever saw him being a midfielder before Liverpool's pre-season. And then they've created this role for him and then didn't expect him to get this injury. It's blown up in their faces. He was the reason why they didn't replace Wijnaldum because they thought we can make this more offensive. We've got the defenders back. We can be strong defensively. And now it's just getting by. And it is a big gamble. Like you can't wait for an 18-year-old comeback to get your team back to the very best in midfield. And you can't be relying on Naby Keita to stay fit to fill the gaps or anything. But yeah, it's just about getting them used to these roles. And as they hadn't been doing it in preseason because you had Elliot there, it's just not quite clicking at vital times so far. I, I think, sorry to jump in, I, I think I think all the problems stem from midfield. You know, you, you think about when Liverpool were truly good, you know, in the title winning year. And, and this isn't, look, let, let's not let's not get over the top. You know, they're still a very, very, very good team. But when they're at their very best in the title winning year and in the Champions League winning years, the midfield at its, at its best was functional. You had three guys there, like Theo's just 
just explained. You've got Fabinho, um, Henderson and Wijnaldum. And they just basically did a hell of a lot of work and then gave it to the fullbacks, gave it to the front three who created goals. And, and now I think Liverpool have, have got two midfielders who are quite functional, Fabinho and one other, whether it be Henderson or sometimes Thiago. And then they've got a third player that they're trying to use as an attacking player. And the team just doesn't look right, doesn't look right in terms of balance. And and that's what I think is, you know, has cost them in recent games. And, and just this season has left them being they just don't look as solid as they have done in the past. So, you know, I, I kind of think there was always this this feeling, wasn't there, when Liverpool were at their best? Like, what more can you get out of, of the Liverpool team? Well, you could have a more attacking midfielder. You could have some of the contributes goals from midfield. But they didn't need it. They didn't need it because they got so many goals from elsewhere. That What did it matter? Um, and I think Liverpool have perhaps forgotten what made them really, really good. And what, and what that was was just a functional midfield. Um, and I think if they get back to that or they could find three players that, that could do that for them, they could be far better. Um, but I don't know whether they've got the personnel now because all the people they do have are either injured or you know, not quite right. Yeah, it's a tricky situation to solve in midfield and it's almost a similar situation up front, Theo. It's it's no real surprise that Liverpool are lacking options. Roberto Firmino with his second hamstring injury of the season so far and I think we've said this before, but as much as Divock Origi scored and, and finished that goal really, really nicely, it still doesn't feel like he's set for you know, a spell in the side. And with AFCON just around the corner, with potentially more injuries over the festive period when things are busy, that's another big worry as well for Jurgen Klopp and for Liverpool. Yeah, I've wrote it in the analysis that went out this morning. Divock Origi comes on, he plays well. You think, oh, this is his first Premier League goal since the title-winning year. He's making an impact this year. He's looking interested again. Um, maybe he can write another chapter like he did in the Champions League winning year. But no one's going to be saying Divock Origi is a long-term future at Liverpool. He just is this plan B when it's a team that doesn't need a plan B. They just need a player in reserve who can go and do plan A as well as the players in front of them, as Diogo Jota does. And while, ironically, plan B would have worked yesterday. It, like I think Doyley said quite a few times they should have started Origi. And it, trust me, he, he was very um, not happy the fact that he was proven right, but he, he didn't make it unheard that he, Origi made this impact when he did come on. Um, but it's only every so often you're thinking that is the sort of game that you need him for. And so most of the time, when Firmino's not there, they now feel stretched. And when they're losing one, they feel stretched. And it's like, well, you've still got the bodies there. You've still got Minamino. We've not seen enough of him. And you think, well, when they've had him as an option for so long and he's had such limited game time, there must be something behind the scenes that they're thinking, nah, he's not right for us here. He's not going to do that to the level we need. And even yesterday, when both of them were brought on, it was out of desperation. They were 3-1 down. It was out of necessity. It wasn't because it was 2-1 and they thought, oh, we need to get a goal here. We'll get bring one of these on to change the game. They had more faith in what they were already on the pitch. They only brought these two forwards on because they were we need two goals now. What are we going to do? We've got no nothing else. This is the last throw of the dice. And to be in that situation already, it makes it very anxious when you think of January. Because I know Klopp's come out and said for Firmino, it's going to be, what, at least four weeks. It's going to be more than four weeks. Uh, he called it a very serious hamstring injury. Firmino was out for four weeks with the first one, which he said wasn't very serious. We're talking six weeks, two months. So if he's back, it's talk, we're talking the end of the calendar year. You're hoping he's back with a few weeks before the Cup of Nations so he can get some rhythm, get some match fitness, and then he can just replace Salah and Mane. But Firmino and Jota, they're like for like, aren't they? Like, yeah, for me, Jota looks better on the left-hand side. 
but they're not Salah, they're not Mane, they don't have that explosiveness the way they can win games to Liverpool. And then if you're saying, well, you're going to have to put Oxlade-Chamberlain in the front three or Minamino or Origi, we're talking about the midfield not clicking because they've tried to change it and it's not quite right. It's the same for the front three now. They don't have the options that fit into it. It's quite funny that who against West Ham's lead with Jared Bowen, we've seen the links there. He wasn't the best attacking player on the pitch for them at all, but he was the one who got the two assists. He was the one who fits into this, what Jurgen Klopp expects from his team. You know, that hard-working, contributing with other forward players, making the runs, pressing. Um, I'm not saying he's going to be the answer. I'm not going to say Liverpool are going to make a move because at the time, I don't think they will bring anyone in. I think they'll stick with what they've got. But it's just such a big drop-off. Maybe when they get opportunities, they can do it, as we're seeing from Irigi now, Minamino in the Cup has been having opportunities and he's scoring goals. They're going to have opportunities in the Champions League now with them being two dead rubbers. But that still doesn't give you the faith at the moment that they can go and be these consistent options in the Premier League. The only positive you can take out of this, what were we all saying about Kostas Simikas last year? We barely saw him play. We just thought, no, nah, he doesn't look up to it. When he, we did see him play with the glimpses here and there, and now he's looking like, well, actually, maybe he should be first choice left back. Maybe a few games for a Minamino and Origi, and they can prove us wrong. But at the moment, they, they don't look like these long-term options. And when Liverpool aren't going to sign someone in January, you, it feels like that's going to be the case. You're desperately relying on Firmino to come back and Jota to reach another level and be a, a long-term Salah because we're not getting Harvey Elliott back for another couple of months either. The, the options are starved and you've got to have other players stepping up. And even when they do, if it's Norigo Minamino, the level isn't there. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Theo mentions there the, the January window, Joe. I mean, the answer to, to everything can't just be transfers all of the time, but does it sort of feel like Liverpool might have to do something then? As Again, as Theo says, it, it doesn't feel like almost if they were going to sign someone and they were going to sort of resolve these issues, they probably would have done it in the summer. The fact that they didn't do it in the summer suggests maybe to me that it's not like AFCON is a surprise or, or these injuries are a surprise. It, it would kind of be not a U-turn, but but almost a, a change of heart for them to do something in the January transfer window. Yeah, and to be perfectly honest, I can't see them doing something in January because, first of all, I don't think many clubs do anymore. It's it's not really, you know, something that the that, that elite clubs do, do they? They don't really go out into January. You know, it, it's just not the market where things are moving. Um I think, again, Liverpool will want to sell players, so they will want to offload the likes of Minamino or Origi before they, they buy an attacker. Um, I don't really see that happening in January. Um, it, yeah, I, I don't think they I don't think they would ever plan to buy in January because Liverpool don't work that way. They would always plan to buy in the summer. So, yeah, I think if they went out and bought someone in January, that would be them saying, we don't think we've got enough to get through. And we didn't see this coming. But... I just can't see them doing it. I, I just think that Liverpool are the type of club that will stick to their guns. And even if it means them playing a Rigi, playing Minamino um, far more often than you know than most of us would, would believe makes sense, they'll do it because that's what Liverpool do, and they will just try and get through. Um, and that's what worries me. You know, I just think in the summer was was your your opportunity, and waiting for outgoings perhaps has cost them because. You know, if they'd been more proactive then and maybe speculated to accumulate a little bit in terms of gone out and spent some money on a, on a, on a forward or a midfielder, um, certainly a midfielder, they might not be in this position. But, you know, let's face it, we just talked all about the midfield and they're going to lose players uh, to AFCOM. Uh, they, you know, 
Theo's just talked about Firmino's injury there. Um, so they could end up needing two positions in January, which they're just never going to get. So um, frustrating, frustrating. And, and I think, again, it comes down to the summer and just, I think, trying to plan too far ahead. Sometimes, sometimes I think football clubs forget about the present. And, you know, I look back at United when they signed Van Persie and I always remember at the time thinking, United just basically went out and bought themselves a league title by buying Van Persie from their rivals. And I'm not saying Liverpool should have done that, but but it was that was United looking at the present and going, well, we want to win the title in the next year. How can we do it? And I think Liverpool are so concentrated on what we can do in, in five years' time that sometimes they're just letting this year and last year slide. I, you know, I think this team and this squad and this, this group is too good to not win more trophies. And it would be such... And maybe I'm just crying it in because they lost. But it would be such a shame if they don't win any more trophies um, this year and another year goes by without them because they're, they're too good. They're too good. Yeah, absolutely. Two consecutive Premier League games where points have been dropped and it is frustrating. There's no doubt about that. But just before we finish the podcast, we'll have a bit of a chat about Steven Gerrard, who's been linked with the Aston Villa job, as I mentioned earlier on in the show. Dean Smith obviously sacked over the weekend, Theo. The links to Steven Gerrard are inevitable, but obviously he was linked with the, the Newcastle job a few weeks back. Does this make more sense? Do you think there's any chance of it happening? And, and would it be a beneficial move for him to come back to the Premier League with Aston Villa, do you think? Um, it makes more sense. It seems to be more concrete, the fact that he's actually on a shortlist rather than just being a name linked with it, as he was with uh, Newcastle and with Everton. Obviously, there the Liverpool connection is there. Um, he worked with Christian Perso when he was at Liverpool. And Gary McAllister has been the assistant manager at Aston Villa before to Gerard Julio. I think he, he finished that season as interim manager as, as well. So there's those connections there. And it's one where you look at Gerard's situation, he does need to make that middle step before he can even think about being a Liverpool manager. But at the same time, I find it hard to see him leaving Rangers mid-season. We said the same about Brendan Rodgers a couple of years ago when he went to Leicester before the season ended. But it just seems like when he's only just got that first league title for Rangers. Maybe it's a bit premature for him to go now. Like you could say, mission accomplished. You've won that league. But if you're Rangers, you want to win domestic treble. You want to get into the Champions League. Uh, he's got them into Europa League knockout stages before, but he's still got another step he can do there. And it's basically whether he sees himself being a Liverpool manager after Jurgen Klopp, or if he knows he's going to have to wait a little bit longer. Like If he's eyeing it up in 2024... Maybe he's going to be impatient. Maybe he'll go to Aston Villa. But then he's got it very safe at Rangers now. Like They're ahead of Celtic, and it's a Celtic side in transition. He knows all he's got to do is get it right, and they're going to win the league. He knows they should be able to win a domestic cup. And if he has faith in his ability, he can get them through to European knockout stages. That's job done. Rangers are happy. The fans are happy. You go to Aston Villa, their fans don't particularly like him, not as a player, because he scored so many goals against them. I didn't like him diving. When he scored that last-minute free kick at Villa Park, they were really unhappy about how that was awarded. And I know that's one instant. You're not going to write off a manager because of one instant like that. But it was the team he always scored against. We saw it yesterday. Mohamed Salah was booed throughout because he always scores against West Ham. When you think he's replacing Dean Smith if he gets the job here, Dean Smith is a boyhood Aston Villa fan. And they'd lost five games and the fans were reluctant to see him go. Like They felt we need a change to be able to push on none of them are happy to see him go. It's with a really heavy heart. So it's a big decision to make. And you go into the Premier League when you've not been there before, when you could have fans on your back, they weren't going to go and turn on Dean Smith for losing five games in a row. 
but the Villa fans can turn a little bit quickly when it, they aren't happy with it, how it's going. It's a, a big job to walk into. You think well, you lost Jack Grealish in the summer. You spent a lot of money on all these players, and it's not quite clicking. It would be a big test for him. It's, do you have faith in him as a manager? It's a gamble for him, but at some point he's going to have to roll the dice and have a go in the Premier League. Because if he went from Rangers to Liverpool, it, it could work for him. We've seen managers make big leaps before going early in the deep end, like Pep Guardiola. But I did a piece last week when you look at all these former managers, um, former players going back to the former clubs, and they do it too early. It just ends in tears. Like Xavi could be another one. Like that could go brilliantly. He could be another Guardiola. Or he could just be the latest in a long line of failures. Like we saw Andrea Perlo sat last year after one year with Juventus. That didn't work. Frank Lampard did a year at Derby, lost the playoff final, and then 18 months where he didn't really do anything. You put a proper manager in at Chelsea, they win the Champions League, the top of the Premier League. It's not even been a year without Lampard yet. On a weekly basis, we're looking, is Solskjaer getting a sack yet? Three years, no trophies, losing semi-finals, losing quarter-finals, just stagnating. It's like Liverpool can't go for a Steven Gerrard and risk that happening. They need to take those next steps. And when you're thinking, when Jurgen Klopp goes, you want this elite manager. Gerard has to prove that he can be that elite manager and it would take this Premier League move. But then you can't go to Aston Villa. Yep, I'll do your job two, three years, hopefully getting you into Europe and then I'm off. They're not going to want that. But it's one thing you can give him a lot of credit for. It's never seemed to be a cloud at Rangers. Like he always gets asked about replacing Jurgen Klopp. He always manages to handle those questions with dignity and they know they're a stepping stone, but he's never upset them with how he's gone about it. It's always, I'm here now. It's very respectful for their history for what they want to achieve you'd need to do the same at Aston Villa it's a very big ask from going from Scotland to England like that you would say is a stepping stone even if you're the biggest club it's different entirely when going from a Premier League team who want to push for European places and making that next step to then the Liverpool when they will see themselves as only a step or two behind them if they get everything right the blood red podcast from the Liverpool Echo I think that the European football point, Joe, is is the key one for me. I think obviously you can get that at Aston Villa potentially if you do well there, but at Rangers it's guaranteed. He could even you know get into to the Champions League at some point. I think Rangers were, were disappointed not to make the group stages of Europe's top competition this season. I think for me that is something that he really will have to to prove. And if he is going to be Liverpool boss one day, maybe being at, at Rangers in terms of that European football might be the best way of him being able to do that. Do you think so? I, I disagree. I, I think I'd like to see him do it at more than one club. And, and you know, I, I think, you know, managers can be comfortable at certain clubs and, and do quite well um, and then move to another club and their methods just don't translate or, you know, they don't have the, the, the group of players that they did have at the previous club. So I personally, I think this is a chance if Gerard's offered this job. The, the one thing I like about him and, and uh, not the one thing I like about him, one of the things that I like about him. I like many things about Stephen Gerrard. But one of the many things I like about him is that he doesn't seem like the type of guy who just wants to jump at the chance to go to a new club in the middle of the season and walk out um, on the club that he, he's committed to, which I think is a really admirable trait to have. You know, it's something that Klopp does um, and it's something Liverpool fans, um, as well as, as wider fans, will respect. But I look at this opportunity and think, I think it's the right level club for him to go to now. You know, if he can if he can go to Aston Villa and do something like, you know, like what David Moyes is doing with West Ham, try and sustain that sort of level, um, move them up the table. Um, you know, they've invested a lot of money, get the most out of that investment. 
I think that would be a, go a long way to showing that he can his method methods can keep translating to um, to different challenges. Um, because I think at Rangers now, was, you know, he's done a really good job there. But you know, and he could stay there and build some sort of dynasty. But at the same time, you know, it, it's quite comfortable, and we know where he wants to end up. And, and I, I slightly disagree here. I think Aston Villa will go in with their eyes open. I think anyone who goes and gets Steven Gerrard as the manager has to go in with their eyes open and know that there's one job that if it opens up and he's offered it, he's gone, and that and that's Liverpool. You know. I, Gerard makes no secret of it. Liverpool have made no secret of it. And I think they would go in very much knowing that. But I think it's a good level for him. You know, I think he needs to make the steps to the Premier League. I agree with Theo on that. I think, you know, he needs to come and prove himself. Um, and whilst I think European football with Rangers would be good, I don't really think that they're competing at a level that convinced me. You know, I think he's done he's done well enough in Europe as it is with Rangers, hasn't he? You know, in terms of the Europa League get them into the Champions League, well, it's going to be very difficult for them to even get in, let alone make a mark there. If you can get, if you can take a club like Aston Villa, move them up to the Premier League, get them into European football and, and sustain their level whilst doing that, like David Boyce has done with West Ham, that's pretty impressive. So um, I think it's a good step for him. And I think if he if he's offered the job, he'll, he will think about it because... Um, you know, opportunities like that won't come up that often. And they seem a sensible club at Aston Villa, to be fair. I think they gave Dean Smith time. They stuck with him in the first year when they first came up. Um, they don't, they've spent a lot of money this summer, but I don't get the feeling they throw stupid money at players. Um, you know, it, it looks like they try and buy players with a plan. Um, they don't hire and fire managers quickly. So I, I think they seem a sensible club. You know, somewhere like Newcastle, you don't know what the future holds there. But, but Aston Villa, yeah, I think that's a good chance for him. Yeah, it certainly makes a lot more sense than Newcastle United. I think it it certainly will be interesting to to see what happens with Steven Gerrard. But you know, even you know Jurgen Klopp, we think will be at Liverpool until twenty twenty four. Theo, so even if it was two and a half years at Aston Villa and then he moved on, well, I suppose not many Premier League managers last two and a half years anyway these days. No, that's a good point. Um, it let him what have a year to stabilise, like the fifteenth at the moment maybe get another mid-table finish and then you're pushing for Europe next year, being able to really translate it along and then maybe you push on again. Um, with Rangers, it's one where he knows he's safe in this job and he could just see out his contract with them until 2024 and then hope he's ready to take over at Liverpool. But he doesn't seem like that sort of manager either, does he? Like He'll want to finish what he started and achieve what he set out to achieve. But he's a serial winner. Like He goes into every one of these jobs. Like he knows that he left Liverpool as under-18s manager because he needs to go and prove himself elsewhere and get this experience. I was looking at the comments he said when he took on the Rangers job and he's like, the history of the club appealed to him. The fan base appealed to him. It's a big club. Aston Villa, you can pretty much take out Old Firm and put in Second City and his quotes fit for them. Like They're a big club. They've got a big fan base. They've won the European Cup themselves. There's that history there. And it could be a good fit. He managed to adapt really well to with the Rangers fan base, he said. Um, it was this club where he could see them having this connection and take it forward. Potentially that could work with Aston Villa as well, but it's one where you'd need time as any manager. And then it's what, what can you do with this squad? Like You know in Scotland, if you want to sign any of the players out there, as long as Celtic don't want them or you can outbid Celtic, you're going to get them. It's very different in England. And when they've just spent all this money from selling Jack Grealish, they're not going to get that big investment again. You're going to have to make it work with what they've got there. 
Um, it is a different challenge entirely for Gerard. It's one you want to see. But then, it's in fine vanishes sacked already this season. Like Villa could be in a relegation battle and it's just not quite clicking for them. And they could throw out whoever they appoint in April. Like how many times do we see Watford or Norwich? Just, nah, done with this manager, we'll go for another one. It's not working for us, we'll try again. They need to be a bit of patience there. So it's one where it's a big challenge for him, but he'd need to make it work. It's a gamble to do you try something new and show that you can adapt and risk it potentially high, um, on your chances later on? Or do you just stick with where you are and keep building what you can do? And like, if you got into Europe with Aston Villa, I think that means a hell of a lot more than what he's doing with Rangers for Europa League winning trophies. But then he wants to win trophies. It's what you wait means more to him. Um, he had this connection with Rangers. He said it felt right straight away. If he gets the call from Aston Villa, you need to find out if he's got that connection with him there before. Because he's turned down jobs before for what he doesn't feel is right. He'll make the right decision for him. And then it's in 2024, if Klopp goes to Liverpool feel he's right for them, is he ready for it? Because even then, two and a half years, it's not the longest time to prove yourself in the Premier League. We've seen managers have two and a half years stints and then that's done in the Premier League. They don't get another go. Um, he, he could go abroad to try, himself, um, try something continental get that variety of football there and then really prove himself. It's just whether Liverpool go too early and risk it backfiring or if they just invested in him. But he needs someone else to do it first. Yeah, absolutely. It certainly will be interesting, but I think that will do us for this edition of the podcast. Thanks to Joe Rimmer and to Theo Squires for joining me and for you at home for watching and listening as ever too. Plenty more content to come across the international break to keep you entertained. So do stick with us. And until next time, it's goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.